So this week, uh, of course, is Thanksgiving week, and uh, it's well known that the first Thanksgiving Day was celebrated by uh, the, the pilgrims in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and that actually happened in 1621. Um, it was uh, followed up with a proclamation by uh, George Washington years later, o- over 200, wait a minute, 100 and, well, help me with my math. I think, I think George Washington made a proclamation in like 1781 or something, so I guess 140 years later approximately. And it was formalized by uh, uh, President Lincoln in the 1860s. And this is a great part of the American tradition. It's interesting when you read the proclamations around Thanksgiving, there was no ambiguity about what it was about and who Thanksgiving was towards. We were saying thank you to God. Uh, George Washington said, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, whereas a day of public thanksgiving and prayer is to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. And then he went on to talk about thanksgiving. Probably my favorite all-time thanksgiving proclamation, actually, though, is the first one by Governor William Bradford of of uh, the Massachusetts colony, again, 1621. He makes this great speech, and he's talking in Old English, as one would expect in 1621. And he he closes his proclamation by saying, Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house, he means the church building, on ye hill, between the hours of 9 and 12 in the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for his blessings. I think second only to render thanksgiving to almighty God is the fact that he said, listen to ye pastor. So from now on, just remember that at Thanksgiving time, that is part of the official purpose of Thanksgiving, to listen to ye pastor. So uh, the, the reality is every day should be Thanksgiving Day in the life of a follower of Jesus. We've been talking about this in recent weeks. We are repeatedly told in Scripture that our lives should be full of thanksgiving. And uh, we've talked about how that gratitude is not only right, but it's also best. Uh, Research proves conclusively, and we've talked about this at some length, that grateful people experience a variety of measurable results, spiritually, physically, psychologically, and interpersonally. Uh, Gratitude is powerful. It affects every part of our lives. But as we talked last week, ingratitude is also powerful in a negative direction. There is a lot of evidence for this, both, again, in science and in Scripture. And we focused last week on an amazing story in the Old Testament about the children of Israel and how that during their, what was supposed to be a short trip from being delivered from slavery in Egypt to coming to God's dreams for them in the promised land, ingratitude messed them up 
and ultimately caused them to not be able to come into everything that God had planned for them. Um, we talked about the story at length and read from Scripture last week about it. To sum it up, about 1,500 years before Christ, as I remember it, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt to their destiny in the Promised Land. Uh, they went to Sinai and spent about a year as Moses received the law, and then they embarked on what should have been a trip of just a, really a few weeks to the Promised Land. It ended up becoming 40 years. And at the root of this becoming 40 years and none of the adults who lived at that time being able to actually get into the Promised Land was ingratitude. It starts in Numbers 11 by uh, it being said, that the people began to complain about their hardships in the hearing of God. And we're told that God had his anger aroused at their ingratitude. And Moses, their leader, had the life sucked out of him. In fact, Moses said to God, if the people are going to act like this, then just go ahead and kill me. And then um, they started craving meat. Um, they, it seems that they probably had taken flocks and herds with them from Egypt, but it evidently wasn't enough, and it wasn't prepared in the way they liked, and they complained and groaned that it wasn't enough for them that God was providing manna for them every morning, a, 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 a kind of uh, bread that could be prepared in a variety of ways. Uh, it wasn't enough for them that that was happening. They wanted meat, and they wanted it in a, prepared in a certain way, and they complained until God said, I'll give you what you want. And he sent quail that uh, covered the camp at three foot high all the way out to its outskirts. The people ate it. As they ate it, they got sick. Some of them died. And they buried them there in the graves of their own craving. They called that place Kabrath Hatava. It's actually an interesting word to remember because it means the graves of your own craving. Sometimes when I find myself complaining and wanting something more than what I have and having a sense that is just coming out of my own human desire, I think Kabrath Hatava. You don't have to memorize that, but I'm telling you, I do. I think if I'm not careful, I'll bury myself in the grave of my own craving. Well, um, the, 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 the people then uh, resume their journey to the promised land, but as I'll discuss in a moment, they end up not being able to get there because they don't, they don't solve this problem that they have with ingratitude, and their ingratitude ends up leading to a lack of faith, and a lack of faith ends up leading to them not seeing possibility or being able to actualize possibility. So last week, I talked about the power of grateful versus ingrateful. We discussed how an ingrateful person, an ingrate, pardon me, is an ungrateful person by definition. We discussed first how grateful people please God and give life to others, but ingrates make God angry and kill the people around them. Uh, ingratitude is not just impolite. I, again, uh, to dig into this deeply, if you weren't here last Sunday, frankly, I'd encourage you to go online and watch last week's message. Uh, the fact is that ingratitude is not just impolite, it is a vice. Great, the great reformer Martin Luther said that ingratitude is a profound spiritual failure and the root of all sin. And I cited a number of people, both theologians, philosophers, 
uh, uh, great literary minds who identified ingratitude as the, the cause of every other vice in our life. Ingratitude is so serious, it arouses God's anger. Ingratitude is so serious, it sucks the life out of people around us. Secondly, I talked about how grateful people see the best in every circumstance, but ingrates see the worst in everything. We talked about this manna that God provided every morning and the variety of ways that it could be prepared. It could be prepared to taste like uh, bread dipped in olive oil as, a, as an appetizer in a nice Italian restaurant, or it could be prepared to be a sweet cake for dessert. There were a variety of things, Scripture tells us, and we detailed last week, that could be done with the manna. I talked about how it was like, it was like Bubba and Forrest Gump who talked about all the things that could be done with shrimp to make it have a variety of flavors and taste. But some people see life like Bubba Gump I see possibility in the shrimp and other people, they just always are thinking about what they don't have and what can't be done. This is, this is a terrible thing. So we've been talking about how that we need to rethink our circumstance or recognize or recognize the good things in the world around us. We've talked about how Paul said that we're supposed to focus on whatever is true, Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And it's in that context that Paul said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. A focus on good things, a thinking, a recognition of everything in our life helps us learn how to be content in any circumstance. Uh, I think this is part then of what, what the Bible means when it talks about a sacrifice of praise or a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We're not just thankful when everything around us is going the way we want it to go. Sometimes our thankfulness is sacrificial. We are finding the good we can in every circumstance, and we are thankful sometimes in spite of what we don't see. The psalmist said, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. The writer to the Hebrews said, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes being thankful is a sacrificial act because we can all find plenty to complain about. But we focus on good things. We're thankful for good things. In spite of our circumstance, we're constantly finding ways to say thank you. Now, having said that, let me offer my third point what I didn't get to last week and spend a few minutes around this, it's this, grateful people seize future possibilities, ingrates miss out on God's promises. Grateful people seize future possibilities, ingrates miss out on God's promises. So the children of Israel have this episode that I've talked about in Numbers 11, they continue to travel through the wilderness. Again, it doesn't take them long to get to the promised land. And Moses, in a very well-known story, sends spies to spy out the land so they can then have a strategy developed to take what God had promised them. It's a lengthy reading, but it's worth it. Numbers 13.1, the Lord said to Moses, 
Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, This is now, this is who they are. This is what they do. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to only let us fall by the sword? Ingrates. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In that you're going to get what you want, in other words. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more, who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. Again, a well-known story. But at the root of them missing the promised land is their constant complaining. They just are blinded to possibility. I am convinced that ingratitude doesn't only cause us to be stuck in the moment in a vortex of negativity, but it keeps us from seeing what God really wants us to have in our lives. See, the manna provision was supposed to be a provision only for a season. God's plan for them was a land flowing with milk and honey. And if they could have been content with the manna, they would have been able to see possibility for more. This is part of what I, why I say that we can be content but not satisfied. Now, there's a delicate balance here. The Apostle Paul was in a jail and in, in, in writing his letter to the Philippians, and he said, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. But... That didn't mean that he wanted to stay in the circumstance. In fact, when you read early in the letter, he's praying that he'll be delivered from jail. But he's saying, whether I am or not, I'm still going to be content. But it didn't mean he was satisfied. It just meant even in his present circumstance, he was content and he was grateful while at the same time considering the possibility of being able to get out of his circumstance and move on to fulfill his God-given mission. But see what happens is when, when we're ungrateful, we are blinded to what is possible for us and our ungratefulness keeps us in the negative place that if we could just somehow be content in that circumstance and thankful in spite of what we're experiencing, offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving, 
then we have to know that God always has us on the way to a better place. But sometimes, I think all of us are challenged with this. I certainly am. If we're not careful, we fail the test of the moment and we miss the possibility of the future. We mess the whole thing up just because we cannot express gratitude. We're not able to see the good in a thing. An environment of ingratitude keeps us from seeing what was possible. Only the two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who were able to speak in faith and take action to seize possibilities got to the promised land. Every other adult, every person over the age of 20 missed what God had planned. So. At some risk, I want to tell you a story of something I experienced recently. I, I think it's important as I tell this story that I'm not going to talk about what anyone else should experience. I'm going to talk about what I experienced. And the reason I say this is because I'm going to, talk, uh, I'm going to share a story about race. And I'm always careful in a church as diverse as ours to not impose on anyone else my experiences and to understand that there's a lot I don't understand about all of this, right? So with that qualifier, here's something that I experienced recently. Um, so over our study intensive, Sharon and I spent six days in Washington, D.C. It had been uh, a long time since we spent a lengthy amount of time in our nation's capital. We've traveled lots of places in Europe and all of that and we realized we need to do this in our own nation. So we saw over six days, nine museums. And uh, one day we ended up in the National Archives Museum where the founding documents of the United States are carefully displayed in the rotunda for the Charters of Freedom. How many of you have ever been there? Have you seen the, 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 the original Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights? in a relatively small area with murals of a, a gorgeous mural of the founding fathers on the rotunda around. And uh, there was hardly anybody in the rotunda. We were there kind of there late in the day, and we found ourselves standing in front of the Declaration of Independence. The next display was the Constitution, and standing in between these two displays was a security guard, and he was an African-American. He, I suppose he is still an African-American. And um, he wasn't a tour guide, but I asked him some question about something. And he beamed and started telling me some details about both of those documents that I didn't know. And I've, he was instructing me about them. And he obviously was very excited and very proud. Now, I experienced this in a way that I, that I might than I, might diff, than I might usually experience it because it so happened that we had just come from the African American Museum, uh, History Museum. And how many of you have ever been to the, to the African American Museum? What's the proper name for it? Um, well, I don't know. It's African American Museum. I think that's right. The Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And Sharon and I had spent a long time walking through this incredibly powerfully presented history of Af African Americans in particular in our country 
and the story of slavery and what had happened around the issue of slavery at the founding of our country, which included the fact that in a compromise that's incredibly complex but yet unjust, African Americans, uh, slaves in particular, I guess, were, and I'm not an expert on this subject, but were considered to be three-fifths of a person in the Constitution and uh, in the Declaration of Independence, did not, in fact, receive independence. And we walked through the African American Museum and saw the story of, of uh, the emancipation and then the struggle for civil rights that's taken place since then. And frankly, I walked through on the verge of tears. Uh, it's hard to not be deeply moved by the experience, uh, uh, the story of our nation as it regards this incredibly difficult experience. So I found myself moved by this black gentleman who's proud of a declaration that didn't give him total independence and a constitution that would have called him three-fifths of a person in terms of the census at least. And he's proud of that and looking at the murals of founding fathers, a number of which, of course, though conflicted in most cases, own slaves. Now, there are notable exceptions that we, frankly, don't think we talk enough about, like John Adams, who was virulently anti-slavery and a big part of, the, of those who founded this nation. But anyway, I just, I just found myself thinking, there's a lot that this guy could say about these documents that for whatever reason he's choosing not to say, but somehow or another he's seeing the possibility that's in them, the potential that's in them, the good that's in them, as they were written by tremendously imperfect men who it's taken centuries now to begin to work towards the possibilities that just you, if you look real close from, I'm thinking from his perspective, again, I don't know what it's like to be in his shoes, I'm just talking about when I'm standing there thinking. From his perspective, I could think about a lot of things to say that would be very negative in this, in this thing. But for whatever reason, this guy was proud, excited, and I thought about Martin Luther King and the ability of some people to both Challenge us to move towards a better future and at the same time find whatever good they can and build on it. And I think about his, I, I stood there, I'm standing there in that moment and I'm having all these thoughts. I'm thinking about the I Have a Dream speech where, where Martin Luther King said, when the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights, unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of colors are concerned. No, we are not satisfied, he says later. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And then later, 
I say to you today, my friends, though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. By that way of thinking, by his ability to articulate his thoughts, because of his leadership, because a nation was rallied, the issue hasn't been settled, but a lot of progress has been made since he stood on the steps of the Lincoln Monument and said those words. Here's my point. It's not really about race. It's about people who are able to face terrible things and somehow or another find the promise, see the potential, focus on what could be, not to say, this is okay, it's to say, I'm, I choose, though I have every reason to feel all kinds of ways, to focus on what's good, and I choose to make that the basis of the future, and I am going to build on possibility. See, The children of Israel were so stuck in finding everything wrong. They missed the promise. But when we can look at, again, please note, I'm not talking about race now. I use that as an illustration to talk about other things in our lives where we feel injustice, where we've had setbacks, where maybe we're dealing with sickness, where perhaps we're going through a terrible situation in our family, where we have every reason in the world to say, this is wrong and that's wrong and that shouldn't have happened and this shouldn't have happened and somebody did this to me and somebody did that and I had an opportunity and it failed and I'm in a terrible place in my life. We can choose just to live in a place of negativity because most of us have some area of our life where we can find plenty to complain about. But if instead we say, you know what? This is an imperfect situation. This isn't everything it should be. I'm dreaming for a different future, but I am not gonna be caught in a vortex of negativity. Somehow or another, I'm gonna look for promise. I'm gonna look for promise. I'm gonna look for potential. See when that happens. When that happens, instead of God saying, you know what, I'm really angry at you right now, God instead says, oh, I'm leading you to a land full of milk and honey. You might be getting tired of the manna, the provision I'm making on the journey, but the manna isn't the point. It's just to help you get from here to there because God says, do I ever have great dreams for you if you're just willing to be content but not satisfied? Well, my word, I didn't intend to preach. <laughs> I intended to... Just so, with that in mind, we have a special guest today who's, a, who's a, a dear friend of mine and a friend now for many years of our church, and uh, our guest is Bishop Santosh Thomas. Bishop Thomas oversees 400 and some churches in the Himalayas, a, a tremendously not only unchurched in terms of Christianity part of our world, 
the percentage of Christians in that region would be what? Less than 1%? 0.01%. And they are suffering in India particularly right now. They're suffering a tremendous amount of persecution. I'll say it so he doesn't need to, but I know over 400 stories in the last year or so of pastors being physically beaten, churches, hundreds and hundreds of churches being burned. And I asked him, uh, since he was visiting with us this week, just to talk a few minutes, talk about their ministry, and also talk about how to be grateful and find blessing in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because guys, only when we can find the best in the most difficult of circumstance do we have the ability to move forward in the future that God has for us. Bishop Santosh. Good morning. It's a great joy for me to be with you all here. I traveled close to 12,000 miles, spent $3,500, and I get only 15 minutes. <laughs> That's about $233.33 for every minute. This better be good. Romans chapter 8 was 35 38 and 39 says, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 38 says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. 39 verse says, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. When pastor had been talking about the possibilities and being thankful and being grateful for where God has kept us and what God's doing in and through our lives, are we being thankful that we who were once dead in sin have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that we are sons and daughters of one living God. Amen. Church, I don't want to preach over what pastor spoke and we've already been told what we need to be thankful to God. I want to share one or two stories and testimonies before you of what God's doing, but before that, Church TLCC, you have been a part of our work in northern India and the work that God's doing in that part of the world. We had a few of our friends here from TLCC who came and visited the work today right on the roof of the world. We have Pastor Danish and his wife Tabitha who are working and doing a great ministry. They are missionaries from the church who are there about seven years back. We had them placed over there and kept them as they moved into that place right 
on the Tibet border at a height of 14,500 feet. Temperature falls to minus 20, minus 30 over there. Danish and his wife, Tabita, with their two young children, Mark and Alan, got using them tremendously in that part of the world, got using them amazingly. We started the ministry about seven years back. Today, by God's grace, God used them tremendously as they reach out with the love of Christ in that part of the world. Today, by God's grace, there are over 65 believers worshiping the Lord in that part of the world as they spread the love of Christ. And just last year, they had the first ever seven baptisms. Amen. That's one baptism to every year. And if you go down to evaluate that, you're thinking, you know, how does this really work out? But I'm going to tell you one thing, that you can never put a price or a time period to a soul. There is great rejoicing up in heaven over one sinner that comes to the faith and believing trust in God. Amen. We're going to have baptisms today. It's going to be so exciting and thrilling to see more people putting their faith and trust in God. Friends, in the midst of all of this, God is building his church. Lives are being changed. People are being won into the kingdom of God because they put their simple trust and faith in God. In one of the oldest Islamic universities in Malaysia, where 98% of the student body were all Islamic students, there was a professor who was the only Christian, and his name was Living Lee, and he was a geologist, geologist at the university. And that university, Ahmed Didat, the South African Muslim scholar, who was very vitriolic and hostile in everything he had ever said, came to that university and lashed out on the Christianity belittled and mocked it. And Professor Living Lee, the only Christian professor, sat and thought the whole time thinking, what is this man trying to prove? He was talking about Christianity being unlivable and nonsensical. During the question and answer time, Professor Lee raised his hand and told Professor D that, I am a Christian, and why do you say that my Christian faith is unlivable? Ahmed did that, asked Professor Living Lee to come up to the stage. As Professor Lee came up to the stage, he said he took his hand all the way as he could stretch and gave a one horrific slap right on his face. Professor Lee's face turned red and his knees were shaking. And just as he was composing himself, that said, now turn the other cheek. At that moment, Professor Lee said, God, I really need you. And he tilted his head to show the other cheek. And suddenly, Professor Didat backed up and he said, we can make this a little easier and quicker. He said, I want you to remove your shirt. And so Professor Lee gave him his shirt. Professor Didat said, you're supposed to give me your trouser too. Professor Lee, being a professor on the campus, he turned to his colleagues and students and said, please forgive me, but I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. Professor Lee finally was standing there, literally in his underwear. Later, he turned and walked back to his office with his shirt and trouser in the hands of Professor Ahmed Didat. In his office, Professor Lee was literally crying with the pain on his face, but at the same time thanking God for giving him the strength to endure, endure it. 
Suddenly, there was a knock at the door, and as Professor Lee opened that door and looked outside, there was a lineup of students, every one of them, 98% of the Muslim audience that were in front of him, were standing there, the whole student body, waiting to literally get down on their knees and beg his forgiveness for what was just done to him. Love triumphs over hate, and you see why. Hate destroys the hater before it destroys anybody else. Love has conquered the proclivities within the human heart and the ultimate conquers outside too. And that's why Napoleon said, Alexander's kingdom and my kingdom will come to an end, but not Christ. Because we conquered with weapons, but he conquered with love. My dear brothers and sisters, this is just one example of millions of stories and testimonies around the world where people are thankful for their belief and trust in Jesus Christ. As Pastor Dear mentioned just now, it is really going into a bad situation where today churches being destroyed, pastors being beaten up. Out of that, just two of the stories I'll just tell you. One of the pastor, when he was speaking on Sunday in the church, was literally dragged out of the church, beaten up, bruised, in a very bad state, literally unconscious on the floor, when the pastor's wife was brought out and she was publicly molested. The pastor was taken to the hospital later, and for two weeks he was under treatment. Just a month and a half back when I was over here, another pastor who was dragged out of his house he was staying in his home, he dragged out of the house, beaten up, bruised, and then his wife was stripped naked and paraded in the whole village. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, 11, 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And verse 12 says, rejoice for great is your reward in heaven. For one minute, I'm thinking, how am I considering myself blessed when one of the pastor's wife is publicly molested? And then further on to rejoice when one of the pastors is stripped naked and paraded in the whole village. The pastor came out of the hospital after two weeks. He still continues to serve the Lord in the very same village where the whole incident took place. He still goes and buys groceries. He still goes out with his wife and visit the other families and pray with them because they are thankful that the Lord has chosen and found them worthy to be proclaimers of the gospel. They still continue to serve the Lord and do the ministry in the place where God has called them because it's not about them. It's not about their own position, but being thankful to God for God found them worthy to present the gospel in the midst of all of this. Friends, this is not easy. As pastor was sharing just now and saying, many of the times, again, well, we don't have to go through all of that. We don't have to go through all of those things. We're thankful and grateful. But even the little things in this part of the world, are we being thankful and grateful? 
Are we being thankful to the Lord for what God has done in each one of our lives? And in that part of the world, here are people. Friends, I'm not trying to say that we also need to go through the same thing. But if called upon, if asked upon, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? My brothers and sisters, we're going to be bold to stand up and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And salvation is through none other than Jesus only. We're not going to give a watered-down version of the gospel. We're going to be strong. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be thankful to the Lord for what God has called us to do. TLCC, I want to stand here and say a big thank you to each one of you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for supporting us through the church because of which God is doing amazing things in that part of the world. As today, in just the last 10 months, 1,500 people have given their life to the Lord. 450 people have been baptized and 12 new churches have been established in those interior mountains of the Himalayan belt where people never heard about Jesus because of you, because of your love, because of your generosity. Pastor Terry, thank you so much. And all the elders, thank you for the opportunity to be here with each one of you. God bless.